The opinions and views expressed in this program do not reflect those of KUCI, its management, or the UC Board of Regents. To find out more about this talk show or other talk shows broadcasting on KUCI, log on to our website at KUCI.org or check out the latest program guide. You're listening to KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine and KUCI.org on the net. Welcome to Prescriptions for Healing Conflict. I'm Lloyd. I'm the show's engineer, and your host is Mari Frank. Mari's been an attorney mediator for 26 years, and during that time, she's resolved thousands of disputes as a neutral conflict healer. She's a member of the Orange County Superior Court Mediation Panel, and she's been a law professor of negotiations and mediation, and presently teaches negotiations right here at UCI. She's the author of Negotiations Breakthroughs and co-author of Stepping Stones to Success and several other books. To listen to previous interviews, see upcoming guests, download podcasts, and learn more, visit www.conflicthealing.com. So Mari, what's your show about today? Well, Lloyd, today our show is about compassion. And if you have compassion for yourself and for others, it really does a great, it goes a great deal to help resolve and even avoid escalating conflict. And you know, as we talk about compassion and forgiveness, they kind of go hand in hand. And when you forgive and you give up the anger and the hurt and all that stuff that keeps you back and chains you, then you're ready to move on and resolve conflict and resolve issues in a much more peaceable way. So I have just finished reading this wonderful book called The Power of Compassion, Stories that open the heart, heal the soul, and change the world. And this is written by Pamela Bloom. And let me tell you a little bit about her. She's coming to us from the East Coast. Pamela Bloom is an interfaith minister, intuitive counselor, and award-winning writer who has passion for spiritual exploration. And this has taken her through many disciplines, including Judaism, Tibetan Buddhism, Western mysticism, energy healing, and the divine feminine. And in the past several years, uh, Pamela has also been known to tens of thousands of people around the globe through her presentations for the Croatian healer known as Brazzo. Through her live event presentations and also live streaming, many have come to cherish her inspirational messages and vivid storytelling abilities. So she has uh, done quite a bit uh, and that we have more about her at our website at conflicthealing.com. And also you can find out more about her at her own website, which is soulinbloom.net. That's S-O-U-L-I-N-B-L-O-O-M.net. So we're really thrilled to have you joining us all the way from New York area. So thank you so much, Pamela, for joining us. What? Yes, thank you, Mari. I'm just delighted that you asked me to be here with you today. Um, your own uh, background is um, extremely impressive as well. Well, you know, we're, we're all on our journeys, aren't we? <laughs> I wanted to ask you, um, I, I enjoyed reading the book and all the stories, and I wondered, how is it that you came about to pull all those stories together? Well, I have been and a student of Tibetan Buddhism and meditation for some time. And I had 
had always sat in these talks by great masters who really gave the teachings of compassion um, as they're presented in Buddhism, but I was always wondering, what does it really look like? What does it feel like? And because Buddhism brings about, um, presents a very interesting perspective of compassion. It's not necessarily this uh, good, feel nice, be nice, uh, perspective. It actually comes from something even deeper than that, which through the practice of meditation, when one is able to really see how the mind works, how we uh, uh, become attached to our thoughts, to our angers, to resentments, and um, how when we begin to um, dissemble this kind of thought process through sitting in our stillness, we can begin to develop a perspective of what really is the interdependency of all life and the interconnectedness. And when you act from that perspective, um, a whole different behavior comes about between person to person. You know, I think this is so important today um, for several reasons. One is that science itself is catching up to this very ancient perspective of interdependency, you know, with quantum physics and scientists like Nassim Haramein who are coming out with really cutting-edge ideas about this field of frequency that we are all a part of, um, that each person and each plant and each even non-physical entity on this planet is interconnected and interdependent. You know, as we look at the world, and I really come to this conversation very humbly, because I'm not a politician, I'm, I'm not a lawyer, you've had much more experience in, in negotiating conflict than I have, but my role, I think, as someone who's been a spiritual seeker, is really to look into the roots of where conflict is in the individual because I believe that when we start with the individual, that it ultimately reflects on the global level. Um, you know, I, I just want to say, I recently I read a, a very fascinating New York Times um, article by the columnist Thomas Friedman. Oh, he's quite great. famous. Yeah. Yes, you, you know him. And well, he he, he was, spoke at my son's uh, graduation from Duke. <laughs> years oh, ago, yeah, yeah. Um, what he was he was referring to someone he called one of his teachers by the name of Dove Seidman, who has talked about that never before in the history of the world have there been more people um, who are um, who have achieved freedom from meaning freedom from regimes or freedom from violence, but there are also even fewer people than ever before who have achieved. Freedom to, meaning freedom to liberty or happiness, um, the pursuit of happiness, as, as we say in America. But as I read this, I thought there is something missing from this discussion, which is the freedom from within. And with, and I don't believe anything can be accomplished on a global level unless there is this freedom within. Because if you look at what the United States is trying to encourage with Iraq to establish their own self-government, um, 
this cannot be done with the same mind that created a war. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So we have to develop new traits um, to build new societies. And I believe it begins with developing this perspective of interdependency and interconnectedness. Yeah. And in some of the stories you had, um, you had a lot of stories that were basically Tibetan Buddhists, but I thought it was interesting you interspersed things like the psychotherapist who um, was Gilda Radner's psychotherapist when she was dying of cancer, and that was really interesting. And then you had another uh, vignette when uh, John F. Kennedy Jr., before he died, he interviewed uh, the Dalai Lama and um, and talking about compassion and all of these different stories, whether you're talking about visiting the Holocaust or, or what it is, the different stories. I just wondered how you brought these people together to contribute these different stories on compassion. You know, I had an idea. I had a feeling. And first I started with the people I knew who were my friends, who were meditators. And sitting down and talking to people, you uh, have a discussion you've never had with them before, and they begin to open up. And then I actually was just brave enough to call up people I didn't know, some very famous teachers um, um, and people across the globe who were delighted to suddenly think about their lives and share really transformative moments. Um, You know, they're actually... Um, many different kinds of Buddhism, not just Tibetan, which are right. um, uh, exemplified in the book. And one I particularly love is by a therapist who had um, really a psychopathic patient and who was very tricky and um, was really on the edge of going to jail for the rest of his life. And she was a Zen teacher. She's a Zen practitioner. And there was a moment... Um, when after he had really threatened her life, he was coming for his next appointment and as he was walking down this hallway, their eyes met for the whole trip down the hallway. And in that meeting of the eyes, um, she had to be so strong in her own um, ability to transcend her fear, um, normal fear, um, and he picked it up. He picked up the she was immovable in her um, essence. And that was actually a big shift in his therapy. He really changed, began to change from that. And I think it's because she transmitted the power, the really grounded power of essence um, and, and showed him this state of mind was possible. I mean, I think the great leaders of history, Gandhi, I think Nelson Mandela, also had this power to transmit their spark, their pure essence that um, was not tied up into anger and violence and resentment. So it really shows that one person, one person in, in a soul life can have a huge effect and other people. And what we're finding is that this state of mind is also um, providing physical healing. Um, there is, you know, the, the medical term these days for conflict is stress. Mm. 
<laughs> right? And that stress is a, a whole body, whole dimensional um, experience. And when we become into a state where we're not in conflict with our essential nature, the, the healing powers of our own body can begin to arise. And I've really seen this as a healer, as a um, as an intuitive counselor, over and over again, when people begin to tap into this strength that their own natural healing abilities. You know, we were just talking about the essence and that people um, can help resolve conflict when they themselves are in their true center. And I know for me, that as I mediate, before I go into any mediation, I always get myself centered and I get into, I think you would call it a compassionate state or a state of, for me, it's like a prayer that I say before I walk in with my clients to make sure that I'm my energy that I set forth is a serene energy because I'm surrounded by conflict, right? And um, so I wondered what you thought about how meditation contributes to this conflict resolution by introducing that that mindset? Well, I think you described it beautifully, Mari, um, and that I really commend you for um, approaching your profession in such a beautiful way, because as we were just talking, one person can transmit an environment of peace just by who they are. Um, I think another thing that meditation helps us do is to learn how to listen. Um, I think this is probably one of the most important things in resolving conflict. And why meditation helps us listen is because most of the time, if we're caught up in our own thoughts, we're listening to our own self, we're listening to our anger and resentment and projection. But when we can step aside and put who we are aside and really listen, and particularly listen to the suffering of another, it begins to build a different bridge of communication. Um, there's actually a technique in, in Buddhism called um, Just Like Me. And what it is is that you look at somebody, and usually you start with somebody you know or somebody you feel good with, and you say, this person is just like me. This is actually a great thing to do standing in line at the grocery store. <laughs> you say, just like me, this person is just like me, um, maybe irritated, maybe late for work, maybe, um, you know, has kids at home crying. This person is, is wanting the same kinds of happiness I do. And when it's someone that you know that's familiar, it's quite easy to do. But then you make it harder and harder, um, and you, you do it with someone you don't like and who you can't see their perspective at all. And then imagine if you did it with someone you might call a terrorist, who may feel someone on the opposite spectrum of who you think you are, that you would never kill somebody or never, um, you know, want to see violence and mayhem. And yet, what this exercise does is, particularly at that level, take you into a very deep place inside yourself, into your own shadow, into those moments that um, you 
may have been so mad at somebody that you wanted to cut their head off, even figuratively, or throw them out of your life. Um, you'd never see them again. Wipe them off the face of the earth. And so if we were in the position of other people, maybe we can find this um, uh, connection of knowing their suffering on a different level. And it, it really begins to, I think, dispel some of the self-righteousness we have in, in conflicts um, and begins to open up a portal to experience that interdependency and that interconnectedness. And, you know, Pamela, when you were talking about listening and you said that uh, meditation helps you to listen, that's, like you said, that is the most powerful tool that we have in negotiation or in mediation, because when you really listen to someone else, you're hearing, you're getting that understanding without stepping into their shoes. Do you know what I mean? You're, you're, you're listening at a, at a deep level where you can start to understand. And that's where, for me, in mediation, for example, when I'm sitting with people in conflict, when, when I set up the rules about you listen and then you can ask questions or you repeat back what they said, Suddenly, when people really listen, instead of talk at each other, they talk with each other, is when there's a shift in that energy, that shift that then they go from from understanding to solutions and understanding to problem solving. So, um, so I would agree, but I think it is interesting. You know, I was a transcendental meditator for many, many, many years um, where... And I and I do think and I try I don't do it religiously like I used to, unfortunately, but whenever I do um, and I get to that point where I can really let go, then then there isn't a body, there isn't a me, there isn't an ego. But I think for those people who are listening, uh, they're so wrapped up in this information age. They're always online or on their iPhone or you know, or on Facebook or something. And, you know, I can get caught into that too. I have to watch myself. But I think it's it's not an easy thing for people to just sit down and get quiet and either out in nature or go into a little place and turn a waterfall on or something and just sit because the, the, the thoughts start flowing in and you have to try and get back to that mantra or that breathing or something. So... You know, what do you say about that with this with this information age where we're overloaded and you're telling people to meditate and get to their compassionate side? How how can they do that? Well, I have a, a, a lot of different answers to that. I, I absolutely agree with you. It, 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 on one hand, can be a huge distraction. On the other hand, I think the Internet is a beautiful metaphor for this interconnectedness. Mm -hmm. In fact, I think it developed as, um, you know, as something that was already in the spiritual world in, in, in that sense, and so shows us a physical representation of it. At the same time, um, it can be used for either distraction or for deepening. And, you know, just this morning, um, I was meditating online with a friend in Slovenia. <laughs> we actually, 
you know, we're on Facebook together, and we said, for the next 15 minutes, we are going to meditate together. And we had powerful experiences. The healer that you mentioned in the beginning that I had been presenting for, um, has um, his presentation is that he gazes and um, doesn't say a word. He comes on stage for five minutes and gazes, and he's been doing this as well, through live stream on the internet to thousands of people who have very powerful experiences. People have healings from from physical things, from emotional things. So I think that it's it's in everything how we use the tools that we are given in this physical world. And when we hold the values close to our heart of Again, and I will say it because it's so um, unused in this world of interdependency, interconnectedness um, between all beings. When we hold that in our heart, then whatever we're given as a tool can be used in a wise way. Yeah, and and I agree with that. I mean, I'm on several uh groups, you know, with uh, with either LinkedIn or Facebook or other ones that groups that are spiritual groups. But when you're talking about and, and maybe the meditation that you're talking about, I just think that people, especially young people, don't know how to just get centered and sit down and, and do that. Maybe maybe you're right. Maybe the the idea of having a spiritual guru um, that you can talk to in India on the, you know, on the on the web is the answer. Maybe we do have to come to another way of a different kind of meditation than than I was thinking about about getting centered and getting quiet and getting um, to the point where you go within. Because going within is not going without. You know, it's it's. it's <laughs> um, yes, first I just want to say that that Bratso, who I was talking about, it's B R A C O is is not a spiritual guru, um, doesn't present himself that way. Um, but I think, I, I don't know, I, I still believe that the Internet has enormous possibilities. Oh, but yeah. also, as you said, learning to meditate, learning to still your mind takes work. It took work for me 30 years ago, or maybe it was more, I'm too embarrassed to say, but it, it took work. And yet, in this day and age, I would say, and I I know that TM practitioners believe this, that the more people on the planet who are now working with consciousness makes it easier to learn these things which my generation struggled with Mm -hmm. when we first started. Mm -hmm. Because there are more people awake to that consciousness, even if it looks like the world is falling apart. Um, I think that Underneath what is appearing is a massive revolution and one that is absolutely necessary to take place, which is really a 360-degree revolution, not just of thinking, but truly, as as you said, a revolution of the heart. Um, And I believe the people I know and the people... The difference is, is that these people have to develop... They... Having gone within, they now have to go outward. They have mm-hmm. to have the courage and the voice and the, the limbs to act as strongly as those who are 
acting in the opposite way in this world. Right. And so a certain courage, uh, a spiritual warriorship, really... uh, And when I say spiritual, I don't mean any particular religion. Right. I actually mean this perspective that is inclusive of all people, of all races, of all genders, um, um, of all beings. Right. Now, your, your book is called The Power of Compassion. Let's talk about the role of compassion with, you know, conflict resolution and ending wars. And uh, what are the challenges in developing compassion? Well, first, we are hypnotized in this world. I really believe so. And you can just look at the media. You can go to the movies. I can't sit through the trailers anymore because they are so violent and are so... Um, black and white in, in terms of good and evil. Even this word evil, which has arisen in our culture, has become the reason and excuse and the accepted excuse, frankly, to kill. When we call someone evil, we are able to kill them without guilt. This is kind of the cultural message that's being sent. And this, I, I would like to say strongly, is a kind of hypnosis. It has put our culture into trance. And one of the important things about developing true compassion, I think, first, is stepping out of this um, social trance that we have all been hypnotized into. And that's another reason why meditation is so important. It allows you to cut through and to see um, the arising of thoughts. And I know that your practice of TM, which is a mantra practice, actually, I practiced that many years ago, um, has a different character and sometimes a different goal um, than Buddhist meditation, um, which um, is it also has many different varieties, but in general could be characterized by developing the witness, that which watches the thoughts arise and the mechanism by which we attach to them and then believe these thoughts into reality. And so I think I was talking earlier, meditation, when you develop this witness, helps you to really begin to see the illusionary quality of these thoughts. This actually reminds me of of a story, if, if we have time, that happened to me in India. I'd actually gone to work with a teacher named Muji, who a wonderfully loving person, but he had was famous for a statement that he'd say there are eight billion people, eight billion ghosts walking the planet, um, believing they're real. Yeah, and it was a very provocative statement. And so at the, there was this uh, uh, experience I had with a dog. Um, we'll call him Raj, and I didn't really know this dog very well. He was owned by the people who lived next to me. And I came upon him one day in this dusty little village of Tiruvannamalai in India, and he was just cowering. He was really an alpha dog, but he was just cowering. And before him were three really vicious dogs sneering about to annihilate him. And usually I would be scared, you know, um, by three angry dogs. But in this moment, I really remembered this statement, eight billion ghosts, um, believing that they're real. And suddenly, I really saw 
that these angry thoughts of these dogs was completely unreal, was insignificant, and did not affect me. And so I've never, you know, I had a dog when I was little, but I not as an adult. So I never had the opportunity to really talk like this to a dog. But I suddenly said to Raj, Raj, these dogs aren't real. You're going to walk with me across the meadow, and we're going right now. And, you know, this dog, who I didn't even know, suddenly came to my heel, walked across the meadow with me, um, even stopped with me when I stopped to talk to somebody at my heel, and then I took him home. And that when I knocked is... on the door, his owner came, and, and I explained our adventure, and she started laughing and crying at the same time because the dog had been a street dog, and she said we had never been able to get him to heal. And, and you know, that, and that's the perfect way to end because they, and I've had dogs, so I know what that's all about. That's about energy, and dogs feel that energy, and that's the energy you've been talking about, that energy of compassion. So it is really time for us to go. So I'm just going to give your website real quickly here, and that is... Uh. <laughs> that is soulinbloom.net. That's S O U L I N B L O O M.net. You can find out about my healing work. Oh, and, and it's time book. for us to go. Well, thank you so much, Pamela. You take care. Well, bye bye. Thank you, Mari. Bye bye. You've been listening to KUCI 88.9 FM Minerva and KUCI.org on the net. I'm Mari Frank. Join us every Monday morning at 8.30 a.m. for prescriptions for healing conflict and visit our website at conflicthealing.com. Thanks. in this program do not reflect those of KUCI, its management, or the UC Board of Regents.